by calling K Radio at 248-557-3500. This is WNZK, Dearborn Heights, Detroit. Your ethnic superstation at 690 days, 680 nights. Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. Special Correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And it's Wednesday, September 14, 2022, and I am your host, Ray Hanania. We're going to focus on the 77th Annual United Nations General Assembly, which begins this week and continues through the end of September. Our first guest is going to be in segment one, Ephraim Kosafi, my journalism colleague and the U.N. correspondent for Arab News. He'll be talking with us about what to expect in the upcoming two weeks at the United Nations. In segment two, we'll speak with Zahar Sahlul, president of MedGlobal, which provides healthcare and medical services to refugees around the world. We'll talk about what he hopes the UN can do to help the refugee crisis. And in segment three, we'll speak with Paulina Kubiak, the spokesperson for the new president of the UN General Assembly, Shaba Karoshi, who takes the helm from outgoing President Abdullah Shahid. We'll discuss these issues that the UN is expected to address during the session during the next two weeks. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have our first interview with Ephraim Kosovi. We'll be right back right after these messages. Here of news.com bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Ziad Brand, quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. 
We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. Our first guest today is Ifram Kosafi. He's Arab, the Arab News UN correspondent talking with us about what to expect in the upcoming two weeks at the United Nations General Assembly's 77th session. Welcome to the show, Ifram. So good to see you. So good to see you, Ray. I love being on your show. What's so special about this week and next week at the United Nations? Uh, you know, Ray, it's been called so many things. It's the biggest meet world meeting. It's been called um, the Oscars of diplomacy. It's been called the World Cup of diplomacy. But basically, this is a time when everything that the UN works for is sort of like converges into these two weeks. And there's a tremendous focus on the main issues that preoccupy UN officials all around the world. It's also a week where all world leaders come here uh, also to give speeches and to uh, conduct many, many bilateral meetings, which sometimes we get um, some information about what they talk about. And, but most of the time, it remains really concealed and, and off limits to journalists. There's a lot going on. But uh, what's important about this year is um, it's really highlighting uh, so many multilateral problems. The problems and the challenges of the world have never been so interconnected. We saw how a war in the, uh, in, between Russia and Ukraine uh, has led in a matter of a couple of months to uh, famine knocking on the door of Somalia, all the way in Western uh, you know, Africa. Uh, the world is so interconnected and uh, you know the main um, motto of the UN we know is multilateralism and the importance of multilateral work and uh, the UN has called uh, on world leaders to be uh, to look around them to be very cognizant of all, all you know um, uh, the challenges uh, of the world and to come with the spirit with this attitude that we're going to come together to try and solve some of them Next week, I think, is like a big week because that's the celebrity week when all the presidents, the prime ministers, the uh, kings and royalty, they'll all get up and speak. What do, is it different every year or do you hear the same messages from some of these uh, speakers who come and talk? It's interesting, Ray, because, um, uh, you know, people are um, waiting to hear what President Putin has to say, what President Biden has to say. And... Uh, but really what remains after everything is over are speeches from um, the least likely uh, people to have, uh, you know, a big impact on the audience. For example, last year, nobody talked about, uh, after Anga, about Biden or Putin or Bolsonaro or those big leaders. But everyone was talking about the prime minister of Barbados, for example, because she brought so much passion into her speech. And she used the Bob Marley song to you know, Goldworthy leaders to just stand up, get up, 
fight for the rights of people. And that was really the highlight of last year. Um, and throughout history, you can really count on one hand the speeches that left um, a trace in, you know, in people's memory, including uh, Gaddafi when he was here, uh, the Libyan, uh, the former Libyan uh, dictator, the slain one. And uh, you have um, uh, Che Guevara speech and Fidel Castro speech. Those are the speeches really that stay. Um, but of course, everyone will also be waiting to see what um, Volodymyr Zelensky will say this year. One of the big uh, interesting things that they're talking about is whether the president of Iran, uh, Raisi, will be allowed into the U.S. Now, as I understand it, technically the U.S. can't stop anybody from coming, but I expect that would be a big focus of protests. Do we know anything about that yet, or is that still up in the air? I was checking the list of speakers. They keep updating it. It's not really final yet, but you know, on the list of speakers, they tell you sort of who's coming, head of government or prime minister or head of, uh, or head of state or a ministerial level representation. And apparently Raisi is coming. So I suspect he, he was already allowed. But on the subject of granting visas and, and all the protocols that have to do with the host country, like you're totally right about that. Like they, but there has been an issue a couple of weeks ago with the Russian mission, where apparently 54 diplomats applied for visas and last time i heard they did not get it and there was the mission the head of mission i mean the the uh, permanent representative of russia uh, who said uh, who said that um if this really happens if we don't get visas uh, then you should start saying goodbye to the un like then the un is over so Ephraim, what are the i know that the un is one giant organization with offices all over the world but what are the differences between what we're seeing this week the general assembly and the other uh, arm, which is the Security Council. The Security Council is the most powerful body of the United Nations. It's the body that is tasked with maintaining international peace and security. It's the body that is also tasked with preventing conflict all over the world. But as you know, the body has five permanent members and those permanent members have the power of the veto. And although two of those members like France and Britain have forfeited the veto from you know, 30 years ago, as we saw this year, the veto has been used by Russia again. So the Security Council this year has been thrown into this huge existential crisis about you know, what kind of effect can it have on the world if um, you know, for the first time, like in years, you have a member of the Security Council, which is the body, as I said, tasked with international peace and security, wage a war on another country and use the veto to block any react, any, you know, uh, reaction from the members of the council. But so what happened this year is um, when that um, um, stalemate at the Security Council happened, um, uh, uh, the General Assembly stepped in and uh, called for a very rare session uh, where you had almost all members were present except maybe Syria, North Korea, Iran, and Russia. And they all, uh, 141 nation, condemned the Russian aggression on Ukraine, which was considered a huge success for the General Assembly, you know, in terms of like, the role that it could uh, play when the Security Council is not up uh, to the level. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, isn't it isn't it true though that the isn't it true though that a security resolution has the 
impact of almost law. If they agree on something, it's like a law. The General Assembly, on the other hand, I think, right, those resolutions are advisory. You know, they're really kind of, this is how we feel. But there's nothing that says you must do what this says, correct? Absolutely. And one of the uh, talking points when the UN talks about uh, reforming the Security Council, reforming the UN system, is precisely about that. Could we give the General Assembly some more power? Could we make its resolution a bit more binding to member states? This is a big question too, and I have to add that Security Council reforms and UN reforms in general are always a very hot topic. They always come into focus also during ANGA, and especially so this year. And, and I know that in the beginning you talked about some of the big issues. Obviously, every year we do hear about Israel and Palestine. We're going to hear about the Ukraine and uh, Russia. Uh, we may hear about Iraq and Afghanistan, but what else is there? You have climate change. The Secretary General just came back from Pakistan, and I think that's very telling of where uh, the UN priorities are. We all have been watching the tragedy, the climate tragedy, or the climate carnage, yeah. where the glacier melts in the Himalayas, and then you have a whole country, a third of, a, of one country uh, flooding, and a thousand people dying, and $30 billion um, in damages, for a country that produces the least amount of greenhouse gases in the world. And with it comes this um, question also of who should fund uh, climate humanitarian responses and climate change bills. And shouldn't it be the countries that are responsible for it? And why should a country like Pakistan shoulder the bill on top of that as well? So you have the story of climate that's uh, it's not really just one country anymore. And as Antonio Guterres said, today it's Pakistan, tomorrow it's going to be your country. Like now there is no doubt about that, that we are, you know, on that uh, track that if nothing uh, is done about climate, we're going to see more and more tragedies like that. You also have a lot of... Um, um, you also have uh, in the world today, Ray, 200 million people are on the move in the world. And the UN uh, High Commissioner for Refugees has also been touring the world, talking to governments, trying to see how we can accommodate these people on the move, what to give them, who can fund these operations, you know, uh, how to tackle the root causes of migration. That's a huge problem, 200 million. Then you have also uh, the drastic uh, underfunding in uh, UN humanitarian responses everywhere. You know, when uh, the Ukrainian war started, um, uh, Western officials told uh, UN officials that we're going to give money to Ukraine, but it's separate than the money we're allocating to Syria and Somalia and all the other, you know, hotspots of humanitarian crisis in the world. Uh, but then um, uh, that didn't happen. The, while the Ukrainian operation is fully funded, uh, uh, almost nonstop for the past six months, there's been a drastic underfunding in Somalia, in Sudan, in Syria, in Yemen, everywhere really. And so um, uh, the UN is trying to hammer the message home that it's not only the Ukrainians who are fleeing war and tragedies, everyone who flees needs help. And, uh, you know, so that's another main message. And then, uh, last but definitely not least is the women issues again and again. 
there's another report that came <clears throat> uh, last week uh, as part of um, uh, you know monitoring the progress of the sustainable development goals and the goal that has to do with um, women equality all over the world and uh, we really saw shocking numbers for example uh, if at the current pace um, uh, uh, we're going to need 300 years to achieve uh, uh, equality, gender equality uh, wow. in the legal systems, for example, across the world. Uh, imagine. So, um, wow. all the SDGs really have been, have suffered the setback this year well, on all levels. Well, well, that's what one of the questions I wanted to ask you about the SDGs. The, I think that's what sustainable development goals. That yes. they're like 17 big ones, right? That the UN addresses every year, or this is something they've been doing through for a number of years, all the way for the next uh, yeah. eight years, right? Yes, since 2015, seven years. It's going to be eight years soon, yes. And the goal is to reach all these 17 uh, goals, which includes, for example, clean energy for all, education for all. It's all for all, you know. Uh, eradication of poverty for all uh, uh, and uh, supposedly we were supposed to reach all those goals in 2030 but I just told you they just monitored the progress on gender equality level and it's not just we're not going to meet it in 2030 we're going to need 300 years if we continue to get the, there to get the legal systems um, you know equal I want to thank you, Ifram, my, my friend, Ifram Kosvi, a fellow journalist. Uh, he is the UN correspondent for Arab News. Um, really, thank you for taking the time to join us. I, I know how tough it is. You got things happening there every day. Um, I don't envy you, um, and but I'm glad that you're there to help represent us because you do a great job. Thank you, Ifram. It's a huge pleasure and a huge honor. Thank you, Ray. And uh, that was our uh, guest from Kosafi, the uh, UN correspondent for Arab News, giving us kind of just an intro overview of what to expect at the UN. He's going to join us next week and uh, we'll look at some of the big speeches that will be presented next week. And the following week, he'll join us again and we'll look back at uh, all the big events at the United Nations to give us some context. Um, we'll be, I'm waiting for our next guest, Zahar Sahlul, the president of Med Global who uh, provides health care and medical services to refugees around the world. We're going to talk with him uh, as soon as he connects. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, hopefully we will be talking with him later. We also have a uh, interview pre-taped with Paulina Kubiak, spokesperson for the new president of the General Assembly, Shaba Karoshi, who takes the helm from outgoing president Abdullah Shahid. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Live performances. Concerts, music festivals, and hot jazz. 
Moments like these are made possible by the COVID-19 vaccine. So let's work together to continue to be safe and protect each other. Keep those concerts going. Keep the togetherness going by keeping yourself protected and your COVID-19 vaccines up to date. To find your vaccine and learn more, visit michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Enjoy the first Syrian-style cuisine in Michigan. At Damas Cuisine and Catering, you'll find a wide selection of Syrian foods and sweets in our menu, like frike, poise, grape leaves with steak, mishawi platter, hot mahashi, char-grilled kebang, shawarma, and much more. Get super-fast delivery from Damas Cuisine and Catering right to your door. Order online at damascuisine.com forward slash menu and track your order live. Damas Cuisine and Catering, 28841 Orchard Lake Road in Farmington Hills. Call 248-987-4985. And uh, welcome back to uh, the Ray Hanania Show here at WNZK AM 690, broadcasting in Detroit and Washington, D.C., and rebroadcasting um, tomorrow. I think we're waiting for our next guest, Zahar Sahlul from MedGlobal to uh, zoom in, but I think what we'll do is Let's go ahead and do our interview uh, that we did with Paulina Kubiak, who is the uh, spokesperson for the UN, the new United Nations president. Let's go ahead and do that and uh, get that one started. Hang on here one second. And of course, there's always a little snag there, right? There it is. Okay. And I don't know why it's not coming up, but it worked okay. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Mike at the studio to play our next set of ads, if you don't mind, Mike. Well, I figure out why this uh, story isn't uh, popping up. I got it. We played it. I tested it. And uh, it's phenomenal. So I want to make sure we do this. Let me just try it one more time. And let's see, maybe it'll come up now. Oh, there it is. Okay, we got it. Never mind. Let's go ahead with this ad with uh, uh, our next guest, uh, Paulina Kubiak. Welcome, Paulina Kubiak, uh, the spokesperson for the new president of the General Assem Assembly, Chaba Karoshi, who takes the helm from outgoing President Abdullah Shahid. Thank you so much for joining the program. Oh, it's my pleasure, Ray. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, your involvement with the UN. I, I know you've been doing this for a while. Um, yeah, I, I've been with the United Nations for about 15 years. Um, I am actually one of the journalists within the UN. I work for UN News. Um, so it's a, it's a great privilege to be a spokesperson here. And actually, uh, because you're from Chicago, that's where I grew up. Um, I went to University of Illinois, and my family still lives in the suburbs, so it's another pleasure to be here. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about uh, the new president of the UN, and if you want to say a few words about the past president, that would be great. Sure. Um, so Chaba Kuroshi uh, officially began this week. 
He is a Hungarian diplomat. He has decades of experience in, in diplomacy and sustainable development. Um, he is uh, he's pushing for multilingualism. Um, he speaks Arabic, uh, French, Russian, and of course English and Hungarian. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, very, very inspiring. And he's deeply passionate about the General Assembly being being effective, delivering for the 8 billion people out there. Um, this is, you know, his presidency, I think, is, is a little bit more pragmatic. We can expect uh, we can expect that from him. And that's a little bit in contrast with the previous president, uh, uh, President Abdullah Shahid, who had the presidency of hope. Um, you know, both presidents are are leading the General Assembly during very, very chaotic, very turbulent times. Um, I think uh, I think both have and had their their work cut out for them. Uh, so it's it's very exciting to to start the seventy seventh session. Well, you said Shahid had the uh, presidency of hope. Is there a description for uh, Mr. Kroshi's uh, presidency? Yeah, um, his motto is solutions through solidarity, sustainability, and science. And to my recollection, he is the first president of the General Assembly to include science um, in in his motto. He's he's very big on looking to looking to scientists, looking to evidence um, to help make decisions that you know, that obviously the decisions that the General Assembly makes, the resolutions that it makes, it impacts people on the ground. And so he wants those to be rooted in science. He wants he wants um, scientists to be able to say, look, if you do this, this is going to happen. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. So it's it's very practical, real information that, you know, that can't be argued with. And then solutions, obviously, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of talk at the General Assembly. That's kind of what the UN is known known for. It's talking, um, and he's really pushing for for solutions, for something to come out of this. You know, we have these resolutions, have these agreements, but what's actually coming from these to impact the people on the ground? Solidarity. Well, I, I think COVID uh, more than anything has shown us that what happens in one part of the world really impacts all of us. Um, so there's that push for member states to come together, to build trust, to work together for for the good of, of the people and the planet. And that brings me to sustainability then. You know, what kind of a future, what kind of a future do we want to have uh, for our kids? What kind of future do we want to have, um, you know, sustainability and, and really making decisions and taking actions for sustainability. So the, that would be the motto um, for for him and for the 77th presidency. And I know that uh, we were talking about sustainable development goals. There are a lot of them. And I'm assuming, you know, my next question was going to be, what can the world expect from the UN session, you know, the General Assembly session this year? I assume it's going to be part of that sustainability uh, program that they've outlined in much detail. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there are a lot of SDGs. There are 17 of them. Um, and they're all designed, you know, again, to to make the, the world a better place um, for for people, for for the environment, for animals, for for everything to um, every year, heads of state, heads of government, ministers, they all come together and they talk about what 
what they've done in connection with the SDGs. And there's always a big SDG moment at the, at the start of the week. So that would be, uh, let me look at my calendar. I'm looking now, that would be Monday the 19th. Um, to remind people that these SDGs are around and the fact that everything is interconnected, right? If we lose a biodiversity, that impacts us. Um, if we, if we, you know, if our kids, for example, because of COVID, you know, not as many kids were able to go to schools and, and so reading levels are suffering. Again, everything is interconnected. So it's a reminder, um, it's a reminder of that. And um, yeah, we do expect we do expect the SDGs to be to be frontline as they always are during the GA. Um, the overall theme for this assembly is a watershed moment, transformative solutions to interlocking challenges. And, and again, that comes the SDGs are going to be a big part of that. COVID, climate change uh, situation in Ukraine, concerns about global economy, all of that again coming together at UNGA, at the GA. And I know one of the big focuses, of course, will be uh, next week, I think, um, when we uh, hear the presidents and the prime ministers and uh, the kings and uh, representatives of all the countries mm -hmm. speak. Is there a clash between that? It seems like each person brings their own issue to the General Assembly. How hard is it to mesh what they want done with uh, the SDGs, for example, the goals of the UN? Well, but you know what? I think that's the beauty of the General Assembly, right? The General Assembly is really the people's house. It's where every single member state, um, every single government has, has the opportunity to speak and be heard. And it doesn't matter if you're a tiny island off in the Pacific or if you're a, a big country such as the United States. Um, everyone has just as much say. And, and unlike the Security Council, there's no veto. So it's, it's really, as I said, the people's house. Um, in terms of the speeches, it's, it's a great opportunity for each country to come and really talk about what, what are the challenges, what are the priorities, what are they doing, and, and it's working for them, for their country. Um, and and you, you begin to kind of see patterns and themes, maybe, maybe the small islands, the speakers from the small islands will, will talk about some of the commonalities um, and some of the same solutions or perhaps some of the same, same problems that they face, uh, whereas other countries that maybe don't have access to that sea will also, you know, there'll be common threads throughout. And again, that's all connected with, with the sustainable development goals. Um, I think it's always great to hear what countries are are doing right now or what's worked rather than what they're planning to do. What are the some of the issues that they should also be looking at and not miss? On the 20th of September, so the first day of the big speeches, is, is going to be um, a meeting of the UNGA platform of women leaders. Oh. And it's going to be an opportunity for all the women heads of state and heads of government to come together and discuss issues such as climate change, such as situation in Ukraine. And I think this will also highlight the fact that we actually don't have that many women in, in those top leadership positions. I think um, at the UNGA last year, and I'll have to check my notes, it was only 13 who spoke. And according to UN Women, right, as of um, September last year, there were only 24 women heads of state and heads of government. So I, I think that event is going to be also spotlighting on the need for for us to, um, you know, it's it's 2022. We really need more women, more women represented in these positions. Uh, um, I so, so I think too. that's, 
Yeah, thanks, Ray. Uh, so I think that might be something that people will talk about as well. Um, the big education event, that's something that the Secretary General's office is planning, and that's going to come on, on that Monday prior, so the 19th. Um, there might be something that, that comes out of that because, you know, I mean, education impacts everybody. As I said before, during COVID, we all know now that reading levels, math levels just deteriorated. Um, so I think this will be a great opportunity to kind of reassess and talk about what has worked, what hasn't, and, and make pledges. Um, so maybe there'll be something that, that comes out of that. And at the very least, I would like people to know that education is a topic that's being talked about at the highest levels of you know international politics. Um, I'm just looking at my schedule now in terms of what else might be of interest. Uh, on Wednesday, the 21st, there will be uh, an event uh, looking at um, minorities, and it has a really long name. So, excuse me, I'm going to look at my paper and I'm going to read That's it out because right. I Go don't ahead. remember it. <laughs> um, so, this event is going to be the 30th anniversary of the adoption of the Declaration on the Rights of Persons Belonging to National or Ethnic, Religious, and Linguistic Minorities. And Nobel Laureate Nadia Murad is going to be speaking at this. Um, if if that, na that name obviously sounds familiar to you, if yes. it doesn't to some listeners, um, Nadia Murad um, has been very outspoken. Um, she, was, uh, she, she is a Yazidi, a member of the Yazidi community who, um, who was attacked by ISIS and, and has a very horrific tale and came out of this mm -hmm. and has been very strong, um, very strong proponent of justice for for survivors of sexual abuse and I, I like the idea of uh bringing the women in the first uh, uh event that you mentioned that they're going to present has this been done before in such a formal way at the opening of a un where all these women will get together and really kind of assert themselves you mentioned i think what 24 out of 193 members of the yeah. un yeah it yeah it's more. crazy isn't it we need more it should yes, be more it, is. I it should be more you. Yeah, uh, I think it might be like 26 because I think there's some some countries who might have, you know, a president and a, right. and a prime minister. But yeah, it's 24 countries. I mean, it's it's insane. Um, so yeah, the platform that is going to be meeting this year actually comes out of a meeting held last year. So it, it's something that the president of the General Assembly at the time, um, uh, Abdullah Shahid, he's been very supportive of of gender equality. You know, he made sure that his his office here in the presidency was was 50 percent you know men and women it actually wow. ended up being like 54 percent he said listen i'm not going to sit on any panel where where women aren't included and they're at least half so this has definitely been his issue so last year he had a meeting with you and women and with a couple of um heads of state and they said this might be something that we might want to continue. It'll be interesting. Obviously, the funeral for for Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth is going to probably impact who who can arrive on time, who can't. Right. But I think it'll still be a really um, a really good event. Yeah, and I think that's phenomenal that they're going to do that. And normally, when I th I've only covered the UN one time, it was many years ago, and Ephraim Kosfi, who is my colleague at Arab mm -hmm. News, now covers it. Um, and he does a great job of reporting on it. I always assume that the uh, opening session is always just a stage setter. Here's what we're going to be doing. These are what the issues are. Um, it sounds like even inserting the women the way that you that they're doing it this year is actually an action item that's mm -hmm. being taken, not just saying, hey, we're going to do this. 
they're actually doing it. Will there be a lot of actions taken during the next two weeks? I, I see what you mean, because again, it's this idea of speeches, right? You know, member states come forth and, and they say in their speeches, you know, we're planning to do this or we're going to do this. And it's so interesting. I love that, that you brought up this issue because one of the things that I always like to see is, well, what happens from that speech that you give given in this September to the speech that you give in September of next year? Right. What, what what actually happens on the ground? Right. You know, and I, will there be a lot of actions taken? Well, you know, there might be, there might be pledges taken like in the education event and others. But I think a lot of what happens at, at UNGA, especially is, is what happens behind closed doors, because right. all these people that come here, they have bilateral meetings, they have these discussions, they go to side events, they, they, you know, and that's when a lot of the business gets done that you and I are not just not privy to. I know the UN addresses the issue of refugees, correct? Is there any focus on that this year? There, There is not a high level event that the president of the General Assembly is planning to deal okay. with refugees. Um, UN, UN, UNHCR, which is the UN Refugee Agency, is, is leading that as well. Is there anything else that uh, maybe I didn't ask about that you wanted to mention? Again, I think it will be interesting to hear what is said about climate action. Um, climate change is everywhere, and particularly given the flooding in Pakistan, you know, I'll, I'll be watching to, to see what member states um, what member states say about that. Paulina, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. It was a real pleasure. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. Thanks so much. And that was a very interesting uh, interview that I did with uh, Paulina Kubiak, who is the uh, spokesperson for Chaba Koroshe, who is the uh, president, the new president of the United Nations General Assembly. And I thought what was really fascinating about her discussion was the focus that they're putting um, the former uh, president, Abdullah Shahid, uh, insisted that he would not attend meetings if there were no women at those meetings representing countries. I thought that was phenomenal. And uh, Chaba Karoshi, who is succeeding Abdullah Shahid as the UN president, has uh, emphasized that it is a priority of his that they will um, make it a priority to uh, um, encourage more women to be speakers, more women to represent the, the countries and the issues. I think out of 193 countries, she said, uh, represented at the UN, um, there are only 24 to 26 women that will be speaking. And, but that's grown over last year and each year it grows. And I, I thought Ifram Kosovi made a great point. Um, women, you know, increasing the freedoms for women uh, is one of the 17 SDGs the sustainable uh, uh, goals for development goals for the United Nations. And unfortunately, they said it may take 300 years before women will be given equity and equitable treatment. So I, I, we were we had another guest and uh, we are. Unfortunately, he hasn't uh, checked in. I know that uh, he might be. He's a very busy person dealing with refugees, and he's been a guest before. So I know this wasn't intentional on his part, um, but we're going to try to track him down. Still, we got a few more minutes. Zahar Sahlul, who is the president of Med Global, um, talking about the refugee crisis. I mean, 6.5 million Syrian refugees, um, and only 3,795 have been settled in the United States. And all these other refugees, 11,411 
were settled out of 125,000 coming out of Europe. Um, there's a big refugee crisis. Is the United States doing enough? So I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about that. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, hopefully when we come back, we will have uh, Zahar Sahlul of Med Global. He really is the expert on refugees and helping refugees. Um, they go into war zones. They go into uh, areas of conflict, and they provide medical assistance. Um, so many of these, uh, I think this was a spinoff of Doctors Without Borders, um, where they go there and they help the people, these doctors volunteer, and you really have to admire them uh, for what they do. And it's a high pressure business. So why don't we take our final break? And when we come back, hopefully he will be on with us. If not, uh, I'm going to give you some insight into uh, what's coming up at the United Nations. I'm Ray Hanania. We'll take a break and we'll be right back right after these messages. Arabnews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali Abagdadi and Fatty Bonham serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali Abagdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all seafood. CDC guidelines and is open every day, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Nishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. Are your hands feeling numb? Do you feel pain opening up a jar, turning a key? Are you noticing that your elbow and your shoulder are becoming stiff? Or were you recently injured in your arm? Hello, I'm Dr. Albajit Katranji. And at the Katranji Hand Center, which just recently opened down the street from the Somerset Mall, we can provide you with the latest in hand, wrist, elbow, and shoulder care. Visit us at www.katranjihandcenter.com to learn the latest techniques that we have to offer you. And I look forward to taking care of you. Visit us in Troy at 1565 West Big Beaver Road, Building F. Or call Katranji Hand Center for an appointment at 248-869-4263. That's 248-869-4263. And welcome back to the Ray Hanania show. Uh, unfortunately, we may not have our guests that I was hoping to. But like I said, this week, next week, the week after, we're going to be focusing on the United Nations. Um, next week, Ephraim Kosafi, the uh, UN correspondent for Arab News, will join us to give us an update on uh, when we do it on Wednesday and some of the big speeches that will be made. Next week is when all the big shots, you know, the presidents, the kings, um, the prime ministers, they all give their speeches. And, uh, you know, I remember when uh, uh, Juliana uh, Kubiak was uh, speaking, the spokesperson for the uh, UN president, she mentioned that some speeches by uh, uh, Cuba's uh, Fidel Castro went on, I think, 90 minutes. And there was one that I think from Gaddafi, or no, it was Castro's, I think, that went on for like five hours and Gaddafi's went on for like 90 minutes. Those are some long speeches. I, I'm not sure how much news, you know, news stories are only about 800 to 1200 words. You know, how do you take a five hour speech, you know, from uh, about Cuba 
and turn it into a simple news story. It's probably not that easy. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and um, it isn't really a priority, and not to say that it's not important. The UN takes this issue very seriously, the situation of refugees. But in 2021, there were more than 6.8 million refugees just from Syria alone, more than any other country in the world. And an estimated 5.8 million children needed humanitarian aid to meet their basic needs in Syria and in neighboring countries. 12 million people are food insecure, and that's an increase of 51%. It almost doubled since 2019. These are some of the facts that uh, refugees face. And uh, I'm still going to, even though he didn't make it uh, so far to this uh, segment of our show, I'm still going to try to bring him on because I think refugees are important. But we were talking with... uh, uh, Paulina um, Kubiak, and uh, she was talking about the sustainable development goals. And there are 17 sustainable development goals that have been identified by the United Nations. The first is to eliminate poverty. I, I, these are phenomenal goals that the UN takes on. The second one is to end hunger. Now, some people might think, wow, these are just uh, wishful thinking. But, you know, when you have a goal like that, you work toward it. The third one is good health and well-being. Um, The fourth is quality education. The fifth is gender equality. Um, We're seeing a lot of gender equality uh, issues and uh, sexist uh, political talk in the United States in this upcoming election. Sadly, it's not really helping us get closer to gender equality because Um, Unfortunately, gender equality and LGBTQ and uh, gay rights and those issues are being hammered by the far right uh, and uh, not being defended properly by the the far left. Another one of the uh, sustainable uh, development goals that the United Nations has is achieving clean water and sanitation for every person in the world. Now, in many places, we take clean water and sanitation for granted. And, uh, you know, you get up in the morning, you just turn a little knob and you get this fresh water that you can shower and you can drink that water. It's so clean. Um, But yet in other countries, um, they have to wait in long lines to go to a pipe where the water isn't sanitized. um, It doesn't have any of the uh, chemical filters to filter out the bacteria but that's all the water they get. And they only get it for a short period of time every day. So clean water and sanitation is a big issue um, that needs to be addressed. Um, And I know Paulina Kubiak had said that these were going to be some of the big issues that the UN was going to address this year. There's also affordable and clean energy. That's number seven on the list of 17 of these uh, SDGs. Um, eight is decent work and economic growth. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's fair. People should be paid a proper wage for the work that they do. And the work should be decent in the sense it should be clean. Um, it should be safe. Um, and they should be uh, taken care of with basic benefits. Um, and this leads to economic growth. The ninth is industry, innovation, and infrastructure. 10 is reduced inequalities. And I think that kind of ties in a little bit with gender, um, you know, uh, equality, which was the number fifth, uh, number five on the SDGs. 
11 is sustainable cities and communities. Um, 12 is responsible consumption and production. And uh, 13 is a big one because we hear a lot of this all over in many countries about climate change. We see the flooding going on. Ifram Kosvi talked about some of the flooding that we've seen, um, I believe in Asia. Um, flooding is becoming a serious problem. And it's amazing because, you know, water uh, floods and, you know, it only goes to a certain level across the board. And yet some areas of the world seem to get flooding and the flooding moves around the world. It's interesting what causes that. So climate action and uh, uh, climate change are really important. And then 14 is life below water. You know, what are we doing to protect uh, our sea life? Um, fish is, you know, fish are a major staple of consumption for humans. Um, and the, we have to keep the waters clean. We have to prevent the you know, the total eradication of some of these species of fish. Um, and we have to protect some of the species of fish that are, you know, these large mammals like whales. Um, you know, we can't destroy them completely where they totally disappear and become extinct. 15 is life on land. And this has to do with, you know, uh, the uh, illegal poaching of animals, tigers, lions, uh, elephants, um, it's terrible and tragic to see that happen, you know, in today's world. It, it's not a good thing. And then, of course, there's uh, the big institutions, peace, justice, and strong institutions in this world. We need organizations that are dedicated to bringing uh, and achieving peace, justice, treating people fairly, and giving them the correct influence that they need to make things happen part, part, uh, uh, positively. And the final one, partnerships for the goals. And this is where they bring in organizations and people. Um, uh, uh, they bring them in to help with uh, all the different things um, to make them happen. And, you know, it, this is a tough little thing here. So, and so we'll be, we, we will be talking about this. And, and again, I'm always disappointed when for some reason, and it does happen, this is live radio. Um, it's set at a very specific time. And uh, like I said, I had really hoped that we would have Zahar Sahlul with us. He's an expert. And I know that this is unintentional. Um, a scheduling conflict came up and, uh, but we will have them back. We'll, we'll organize it again. And we have other people that might join us to talk about the refugee issue, um, to see what's happening, but it's going to be very fascinating to see, uh, you know, to watch the, uh, uh, UN this week to listen to the speeches. I know that, uh, one of the big issues we're going to be exploring next week is the issue of should the president of our Iran, Raisi be allowed to come to the United States He's been accused of the worst war crimes. I don't know how many thousands of Iranian civilians he has been accused of uh, killing, ordering their deaths, you know, suppressing dissidents, you know, suppressing free speech in Iran. It's a very tough country there. So we're going to be bringing a guest on next week to talk about that issue. Um, and I know that in every year at the United Nations, which I did cover a, a few years back, um, there are always protests and the pro-democracy uh, dissidents for Iran 
always come out in force at the United Nations. And they always have a big protest near the building. Um, and it's huge. And as you know, New York is comes under, you know, uh, kind of like a police. Uh, co- it's cordoned off whole areas of like Second Street, um, you know, all the way down, uh, up and down, right around the U.N. They're blocked off and you have to have a pass to get through the the, uh, you know, the ri- ri- uh, the guardrails there. So they get to your hotel to get to the U.N. There's a lot of security and that's a huge cost. The U.N. is probably the biggest organization that we have. And I know they do so many good things, um, you know, to help the people of uh, the world. Um, I'm just looking up the United Nations speakers to see who's planned for UNGA 77, the United Nations General Assembly 77th year. And uh, I'm just saying here, you know, let me just bring on a friend, uh, Nahed Ghazul. And uh, Nahed, how are you, Dr. Ghazul? How are you? I think uh, Nahed is a uh, expert on the Syrian refugee crisis. Um, she's an academic who worked at Aleppo University um, through 2011, then left for Jordan. Um, and she works at, in, uh, at the Paris Natar University. She's a Syrian activist who supports the Syrian refugees and caring for them and providing medical support there. So um, I don't know, Nahed, are you there? Dr. Ghazul? Uh, yes, yes, I am with you. Hello. Oh, thank uh, you. I know good. Layla, our producer, is so good. When she saw this opening, um, she wanted to get somebody in to fill the spots. Uh, Dr. Ghazul, um, tell us, how bad is the situation for Syrian refugees? Uh, uh, first of all, um, good evening and good afternoon to you and to your, thank you. um, uh, to your listeners. Um, actually, um, I think it is never worse than the situation now uh, through the 11 years because um, we can hear the calls of the neighboring countries uh, for the uh, return back of the refugees, even, I mean, one of the uh, very important uh, religious uh, Christian figures in Lebanon or before yesterday mentioned that if they return back voluntarily, uh, it will be a second war uh, for them. Um, Also uh, in Turkey, um, you know, now they are calling for uh, the uh, return of the refugees. Um, We heard that today there is a security um, delegation, a Turkish security delegation to negotiate with the uh, regime uh, uh, leaders uh, about the safe return of the Syrian refugees. Uh, of course, it is not safe return and it is not uh, voluntarily returned, but actually it is um, uh, forceful return. And how um, bad how bad is the situation for Syrian refugees? How bad um, is it? Yeah, actually, they don't stand the chances of getting jobs. They don't uh, uh, stand chances of getting financial aid from the UN. And we heard the calls of the um, UN uh, uh, Secretary Council, um, you know, calling uh, for increased aids because the number of refugees is increasing um, uh, dramatically. And uh, this applies to certain refugees, um, even, for example, in Syrian neighborhoods 
neighboring countries. Um, they, uh, those who used to work now lost their works after Corona. There is economic crisis in all countries. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the first uh, to lose their works are uh, the refugees. Uh, we find that, you know, thousands are trying uh, to flee again to Europe using the boats to die and to sink in the uh, oceans and in the seas. And this happened this week, uh, you know, yeah. from Libya to Europe, where 147 uh, Syrian refugees uh, were lost or sunk and you- died. So it think, is it is really very, very bad situation. Do you think that you we only have a couple minutes left, but do you think, and again, thank you for joining in. No. Um, and I want to thank our uh, co-producer Layla El Husseini for reaching out to you because this is such an important topic. Do you think, Dr. Hazul, that the United Nations is doing enough to address the refugee crisis? Um, and do you think countries like the United States, which has stated that they would help refugees? And I think Dr. Sahlul had posted a note that out of 6.5 million refugees, the U.S. has only taken in 3,795. That's terrible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the the number of the countries that host refugees, especially the U.S., is, um, you know, uh, dramatically uh, decreasing. And uh, uh, the U.S., I mean, could do much, much better. They could open, I mean, uh, their doors for for a regular and uh, um, uh, uh, cooperate with the UNHCR in uh, bringing uh, refugees from uh, neighboring countries, those who are living really in appalling conditions. Um, Also, the U.N. maybe is trying to mobilize support, but... uh, uh, we don't know whether it is uh, for the UN or or it is for the uh, big powers who are now engaged with the U- with the uh, Ukrainian war and right. they are there's a distraction in other words that's Indeed. that's caused a lot of pressure on refugees because there's so many refugees that have come out of that conflict final question shouldn't the united states be expected to do more than 3795 refugees settled in the US um, out of 6.5 million, that number just, that's that's just for this year. And that's terrible. That's not even, it's so minuscule. It's embarrassing for the richest, most powerful country in the world that they can't do more for people that are in need. Indeed, actually, the U.S. could do much better than this. I mean, we, we everybody could expect for example, the U.S. to host no less than uh, one million refugees at least, the minimum, and uh, we we should, uh, I mean, uh, we should consider, I mean, some of the European countries who host the refugees and they were an additional value to the society, for example, in in Germany. Uh, So uh, refugees are not a burden on the economy of any country, especially a big country and continent like the U.S., Right. So uh, we expect and we call for the uh, opening the doors uh, for more regular, um, uh, uh, you know, refugees delivery into the USA um, because their situation is really um, getting very bad for them. At least we can save some lives from not dying right. while they are trying to flee the the neighboring countries uh, who are trying to force them to return back 
to the regime and God knows what will happen next. All right, Dr. Nahed Gazul, listen, thank you so much for joining us um, and giving us this little brief update on the refugee crisis around the world. I'm Ray Hanani. I want to thank everybody for joining us um, and our producers, uh, Mike Chupka and uh, Layla El Hosseini and everybody. Um, we will be back next Wednesday talking about this issue focused on the UN. We'll see you then. Thank you so much, everybody. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.